Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Dara Lynch from Lancome. They are a four-piece from Dublin City comprising Ian Lynch on Illum Pipes, Tin Whistle and Vocals, Dara Lynch on Vocals and Guitar, Cormac McDiarmida on Fiddle and Rady Pete on Harmonium accordion and vocals. I talked to Ready Pete for a special Culture Night podcast last year. It was a really great chat. It also featured Inie K, who has just released a great new album and who I'll be talking to on next week's episode of The Point of Everything, if you want to come back and hear that. Dahi and Saint Sister were also part of that chat. So that's really cool. If you just search for Culture Night podcast music, Owen O'Sullivan, The Point of Everything. Search for all of those things and hopefully eventually you'll find it or just go to my Twitter and uh, I'll I'll link you in. But Lancome have actually been around for a lot longer than you might think. There are only two albums up on Spotify, Between the Earth and Sky, which came out in 2017, and Cold Old Fire, which came out two years previously. But there's another album, which I found out through talking with Dara. It's from 2003, Where Do We Go Wrong? And it's available on YouTube. We talked about Lancome's journey from Lynched to Lancome, from Mexico to St. Luke's, where they're going to be playing on St. Patrick's Night. It's going to be a really, really special show. I think part of a great weekend of shows that St. Luke's have lined up for us there. So they're going, Lancome are going to be playing on the 17th. Jimmy Crowley is going to be on support duty for that. It's part of a couple of live shows that Langham have coming up. They're playing the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh, Scotland on the 26th of April. They're playing uh, in Bath on the 19th of May. They're in the Basque Country on May 26th. And then they're doing two shows at Cafe Otto in London on the 28th and 29th of May, which will be really cool as well. I got to talk to Dara like the two days like the weekend before he was going into the studio to record uh, Lancome's next album, which is going to be amazing. I have a feeling that it's going to be a really special album. So it was great talking about their journey to date, how it all started between Ian and Dara and how their tastes developed, how their how everything changed for them uh, from 2003 right through to uh, like befriending and playing with Cormac McDiarmid and Rady Pete as well so yeah let's just get into the chat have I got you kind of in between times at the moment like you, do, you don't seem to be too busy at the moment in comparison to I know I know you're just back from uh, Europe and you're in the states at the start of the year as well but is this kind of like a little bit of downtime not for really. We're kind moment. of always busy, to be honest. There's not really much downtime. Um, a down day, maybe you got me. Like maybe today and tomorrow, I don't have too much to do, and then we're going into record on Monday. So yeah, give us a scoop on uh, on the new album. What can uh, people expect, or what do you like? Do you go in like with the songs ready to go? Um, and all of the ideas fully formed? Or are you kind of like going in with a couple to, of ideas? Like, the, the more we do it, the less. The less prepared we are each time. Like definitely the first, the Call of Fire album, we had everything, like we knew where every single thing would come in. We'd arranged every single song to like perfection and that was exactly how it was recorded. There was only one track, The Lullaby, I think that we did a lot of overdubs that were just a bit of experimentation and then the next album, Between the Earth and Sky, was like kind of a mix of that, of having things perfectly arranged before we went in and then just messing around in the studio and then this time around same thing will be a bit of both 
Yeah. Is it, is it just kind of like a confidence that you've got at the moment that like we'll figure stuff out in the studio? It's a mix of a confidence and a lack of uh, time to prepare because for Cold Old Fire we had we had a lot of those songs arranged for two, three years beforehand and we had months and months to kind of get tweak every single little bit and then we'd listen back to recordings and we'd rehearse and then we'd like oh, maybe the vocal should come in on the second line whatever whereas now it's just like we've got two months to record an album like right what are we going to do <laughs> and is it the same place that you're doing it as as you've always done it you're recording no, it with it's, Spud, it's, we're going Spud to a totally new again. place called uh, the meadows in delgany i've heard a lot of good things about it i don't know too much about it i've looked at photographs and it looks amazing i know it has big windows that looks out they look out onto fancy trees it looks kind of very pleasant atmosphere to record in yeah i don't know too much about it yeah uh, spud recommended it, our sound engineer so it's good enough for me is he, is he recording the album yeah, so this will be the first time that we have him on board from the outset, oh, which okay. is a which is a very exciting thing. Who did who did you have uh, before? Between the Earth and Sky was Julie McLaren up in Analog Catalog, which is a, a analog studio where we recorded onto two inch tape. So that was a that was mad interesting thing to do, and then but Spud mixed that in the end, and then so this time around he, he's going to be on board from the very beginning, so he's going to have all the drones happening. <laughs> Is he kind of like the the unofficial fifth member of the band? At this stage, he kind of is, yeah, a bit of a like George Martin character. He's like, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's as into drones and low end as the rest of us, and he like he's definitely as passionate about it as we are. So it's kind of it's a, it's a perfect match, to be honest. <laughs> where where did that kind of um, like love affair, I suppose, with the drones come from? Like, was it always there from the start, or was it always something that you said, you know, we'll we'll start this band and we want kind of a nah. little bit of a different sound or nah, was it just something really. that you were like let's just let's just add this in sometime i suppose yeah we're all just i don't know we're all kind of weird and into weird music and definitely have between the four of us a massively eclectic taste in music yeah even though it is kind of technically folk and traditional music like all of our tastes would go into insane kind of whatever experimental stuff like uh kraut rock stuff brian eno pink floyd or whatever all these kind of things probably from a few years ago at this stage things that are a bit more layered and a bit more i don't know i don't know the best way to describe it but we're, we're definitely into uh i suppose immersive kind of immersive music you're definitely a, a trad band first and foremost i suppose like is, is that fair to say yeah like like do you feel a little like not pigeonholed but i mean like do you think of like we have to come up with a lancome sound out of this next album when we go into the recording studio or is it like no not we particularly. could come out with something that like eno would would do i think there there is a chance that something like that might happen especially with sport being involved now yeah i don't know like i i, I wouldn't be as sure as i wouldn't be as sure of how it's going to come out as i would have been for the, the last two are you going into the studio kind of planning an album with kind of a mix of old and new again or do you think it's going to be more like brand new tracks that you're going to be coming up with probably a similar mix to yeah. what was in the last album i'd imagine we definitely have a lot of traditional things arranged to be honest we nearly have like two albums worth of stuff at this stage that we could be like working from so we're gonna to have to record as much of it as possible and then pick whatever we think suits or pick our favorite ones do that double album Everybody loves a double well, album. Well, our last two albums have been double. So if we did this, it would be a quadruple album. <laughs> um, like, you, you must just be bringing, like, all of the experience that you've had over the past, uh, like, year or two. It seems like you've always been on the road together. 
all the time like it had, oh yeah as not that you're sick of each other or anything but like <laughs> oh it, we can be <laughs> do y'all work together on coming up with the sound or is it kind of like oh, yeah. you'll go away and then come back with a band with ideas Rady will do the same and, and so on or is it just kind Probably of like a bit of both or at least somebody will bring a song or either a song they've written or a, a song they found in archives or at sessions or whatever or tunes and then if everyone's into it we'll start working on it as as the four of us and kind of shape it or mold it or chip away at it until we get it into into something that we're really into and how do you select kind of the um the traditional tracks that you do because i know the last album i think it was was a four traditional songs and three original compositions something was that that the makeup of it like that that's one of the things i wanted to talk to you about before we press record it was like explain the history of trad music to me (laughs) but if if you can that would be really appreciated because i feel like it it's such a big world um that you know you can spend decades probably trying to figure it all out but i mean how how does it work when you're actually taking an old traditional song and making it into a lancome song i mean do you look at the last album and you see the songs that you covered do you see them as Lancome tracks or like as the songs that they were kind of before by wh- whoever initially recorded them? I suppose both. Yeah, in a way. Um, I mean, we have different ways of finding them. Some of them would come out of archives or books. Some of them would come out of singing sessions that we've gone to, uh, records that we listen to. But we definitely, I don't know, we definitely don't feel like we own them after we've made an arrangement out of them or anything like that. And like, how do you turn them into like one of your own songs, apart from adding drone to them? <laughs> add, add a load of drones, have a load of fights, spend months kind of trying out different things and then deciding that's all a load of crap and trying something else. Spend another few months at that, <laughs> try out a million different harmonies. And then finally, at the end, there'll be something that all of us are kind of excited about. Like you, you must always be excited about it before you decide that, you know, s- signing off on a track. Oh yeah, or, well even to start with you need to be excited about it. it has to be like a song or a tune that you're like this is like this particular thing has a, has something about it you know like the melody or the, the lyrics or whatever it is has to have some sort of thing that because not all the songs and tunes are particularly amazing. There's a lot of good ones but there's, there's very special ones and then I don't know there's, there's there seems to be a particular style of ones that we're attracted to as well. Like, we've never really gone for any of the, uh, there's a lot of long sort of narrative stuff about places that we're not particularly into, which is a big part of the Irish tradition, especially like, I left this place, it's so beautiful, the flowers are like this, and the hills, and my family, and whatever. Why do you think that is? Is it just like, I mean, you're you're very much a band who's associated with Dublin and kind of like the city itself. Is it just like... (laughs) <laughs> not that you haven't been to all these places that you're leaving behind or something but it's just not something that you uh you think you're gonna sing and be genuine about yeah maybe something like that personally yeah i just personally find them a little bit boring or something it's just yeah. like oh great yeah there's there's nice hills where you come from like great but it doesn't really i don't get any sort of emotional reaction to it i don't have any sort of emotional kind of resonance coming from it you know it's kind of it just feels a bit bland to me or something yeah and is it kind of like as you said kind of the sessions where people would be singing these tracks that you hear something maybe for the first time and you think oh i'd i'd like a crack at that yeah that's definitely yeah absolutely especially like the likes of uh luke cheevers and barry gleason i think we've gotten three or four songs off each they're both uh kind of older older dublin 
stalwarts of the kind of singing circle scene. Absolutely amazing. Nelly Weld, and I know Rady's gotten a few songs from. She's fantastic. So yeah, that, and then there's records. Or even, there's a, the housemate of mine, Sean Fitzgerald, he's a fantastic singer as well, and there's a few songs I've heard him singing recently, and I'm just like, holy moly, like, I hadn't heard them before. It's like, where the, where the fuck did you get them? And and so, like, the original songs that you come up with as well, like, how do they come about? Like, is it just the four of you sitting around writing and playing together and seeing what comes out, or does it kind of come out of, you know, an idea and you play it at, at a session or something? No, we wouldn't really be singing our own songs at sessions. Um I suppose it's kind of it's a couple of different ways that they work. Ian wrote on the last album. He kind of wrote from scratch the the Dainty and Aaron and Bad Luck to the Rolling Water, and then he kind of had the idea for the Granite Gaze and took it to the four of us. And that was the four of us working on that. I'd say for about a month, just lyrically and melodically and. Then the whole arrangement and the instrumental part and everything. I actually felt, because that was the first time we actually did something like that and it was really nice to do. Coming up with original... Yeah, but it was the first time that all four of us were kind of like working on, on bits and pieces. Because I know uh, Cold Old Fire before was more... It was a song that I'd written with Keen Lawless and then we just, it was more like we put an arrangement on a song that had been written. Whereas The Granite Eyes was the first time that we were all working kind of from the beginning doing the, the beginning stages of a song to the last stage. Is, is that something that you're instantly like, oh, g- give me more of that? But it sounds like you're yeah. not going to be doing that that much on, on the new album when, I, when you go into the studio. No, we do. We have, let me think. I think we have five or six oh, original okay. songs. Ah. Not that we're going to put five or six on it, but that we have five or six to choose from that are written or half written or that we've been working on or arranging over the last six months or so. As, as I said, like, you know, you seem to be a band here kind of associated with Dublin. Do you, yeah. do you find that um, the social issues creep into those original songs like Ireland in 2019, Dublin in 2019, like after all of the housing protests of last year? Do you feel those kind of issues are something that actually creep into the music or is it just? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's we're all dealing with that stuff the whole time. Whether, yeah, like the Granite Eyes is very informed by all of that kind of stuff. Called Old Fire, like, 10 years ago, was the recession and all going on. I mean, you'd, you'd you'd have to be kind of blind or stupid to be living in Dublin and not kind of realising that all this stuff is going on around you or reacting to it in some way or feeling something about it, you know? Well, I guess, I guess it's what people want from their music. It's either, like, escapism or they do want that social aspect of yeah. music. But I yeah. guess traditional music isn't... Does it do... I mean, maybe... It does do those escapism tracks and they're the ones that you you were talking about earlier that you're like not too bothered by the ones that you find kind of a little bit boring or pastoral, I guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. Pastoral. That's probably probably a good word to describe. Them. Um, no, there's definitely there's a huge history and definitely a traditional song in Ireland of so, like lyrics that would be uh, yeah about political, social things that are going on around at the time, even going back hundreds of years, you know, escapism. I think that that's what people like do look to music for a lot as well. Yeah, you know? and and I mean, you you can make the argument for that as well. But I do feel like in twenty nineteen, sh- you know, you you can't ignore the issues. Oh, big time! In a weird way, you can kind of do both at the same time as well. I mean, we we played with Sleaford Mods over in London. When was that? Last September, and it was, it's a mad mix because they're like these amazing beats and amazing tunes, and then Jason Williamson screaming about how fucking horrible England is 
and it's like this amazing mix because people are going mad to the music and actually really into the fact that he's just blowing a fuse about how fucked up the country is yeah and it's yeah it's really like interesting cathartic kind of thing to see I'm I'm glad you actually brought up Sleeper Mads just because like you do kind of seem like uh, two peas in a pod sort of thing Lankham and Sleeper Mads I think aren't you? I don't, I don't know if I'd say maybe, that I don't know maybe if not I'm, musically I'm, but I mean uh, yeah. certainly in terms of um, the mindset maybe yeah I don't know like they they definitely have no qualms about speaking their mind you know I'm looking forward to collaboration sometime <laughs> you guys and Sleeper Mads <laughs> That'd be very interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah, a bonus track on the new album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because I remember seeing, uh, I think it was called Parallel TV a couple of years ago. It was shot upstairs in Whelan's. And I think oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys run it. I think that that was the first time that I had come across uh, Lankham Lynched at the time. And uh, Sleeper Mods on the yeah, same episode yeah. as well. And then uh, were you on the same episode of Jules Holland as well a couple of months later? Yeah, we were, yeah. Later. yeah. Like, I've always said... Uh, I don't know if I've actually told people, informed people that like, I'm sure that it was like, you know, you did that together and then that's how the guys from Jules Holland saw you that like, that's probably why I, so- I associate like Lancome and Sleeper Mods there. Like your journey yeah. has kind of like intertwined from like from, from yeah, that Yeah, I hadn't actually realised that. That's oh, really? interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten about the Parallel TV thing. Yeah, because I always thought like people must have seen Sleeper Mods on that and then it was like, oh wait, What's what's this band as well? Yeah, that are playing. No, well, I know that the reason that we ended up on Jules Holland wasn't uh, it wasn't to do with part of TV. It was to do with CDs. The uh, the producer got a hold of a CD of ours and was just raving about it, and he was just yeah. right. I want them, <laughs> which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's let, maybe let's just talk about your your journey kind of from the start. I mean, like you and Ian were always just playing trad music when you were younger, was it? Was it, is it kind of no, as simple as that? No, we was it wasn't trad music for us. So Cormac and Radio have been playing trad music since they were kids. Uh, together or no? Well, they went they went to the same high school out in the south. One of those kind of Irish speaking, everybody plays music kind of schools. So they grew up with all of that, and me and Ian grew up with the well originally like musical influence wise like family parties when we were kids was just sing songs but not 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 traditional music just mayhem pop songs and folk songs and whatever made up songs my uncle used to write songs um so yeah i was kind of singing the whole time on both sides of the family and then uh so we were teenagers getting into whatever guns and roses nirvana all the usual stuff iron maiden and um then I think Ian headed off and learned Tin Whistle in London when he was around 19. He Lear- went to London to learn? Not to learn. Not to learn. He went to London to be a fucking madman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> total like punk rocker. And um, But he wanted like that Irish heritage, like brought the Tin Whistle. Yeah, he's, he's often said that, that when you went, to, one of the mad things that happens when you leave Ireland and are living away is that you, you actually feel more of a kind of Irish identity and he started listening a lot more to the Dubliners the Pogues uh, Planksty Christy Moore and all that kind of stuff which he wouldn't have listened to before. he would have probably started a little yeah. bit before he left or heard a bit but once he was away it was like he got mad into it yeah he gets like kind of, the, yeah. the wisty eyes yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, so uh, of home. yeah so he started learning those tunes on the Tin Whistle and he'd go busking he'd go busking with his dog playing Pogues and, and Planksty tunes or whatever and that's how he made his money and uh, so then he came back to Ireland after a year or two and I, I'd i been just learning guitar since I was a, like 11 or something like that just 
just because I was into, yeah, whatever, Kurt Cobain or whatever. And uh, yeah, so we just started this kind of joke. It's like a joke. I don't know how I'd describe it. Just folk punk, I suppose. So we'd, we'd be opening for bands around Dublin, like different punk gigs in Dublin. And we'd have all these joke songs about God knows what, hating the cops, um, getting drunk. Um, we used to do like these theatrical things where we, I remember... I think I robbed a black plastic bag full of Walker's crisps off some promo people outside Trinity College. And we went to a gig and just like we were dispersing these packets of crisps to everybody. It was this other time I found this giant box of little red envelopes and I had a toy typewriter at home. So we typed out all these stupid little messages, like little love messages and put them in these little red envelopes and we were like throwing them out to the crowd, doing these little dances and just uh, we were just being stupid and annoying. And uh but making these these kind of joke songs with the tin whistles and the the acoustic guitar or whatever and then decided to record them and that became some sort of unexpected european underground anarcho-punk kind of cult classic when you were recording them were you treating them as joke songs oh yeah Yeah? absolutely like like this is just a laugh like this is just yeah yeah i mean we did like we, we were into it and we did our best to record it well and like i mean some of them have maybe a bit more of a serious leaning or a bit like there's a song that we wrote about Carlo Giuliani who got killed by the cops in 2001 in Genoa at the G8 summit. And that was very, very kind of heartfelt, kind of poetic song. There's one or two like that on it. And then there's just total like piss take songs. There's one called Sign On, which is like a piss take of uh, Christy Moore's Ride On. But it's about being on the dole. And uh, what else have we got? Cosmic Crusader, which is like a, a David Bowie, total David Bowie send off. Just like a... About being a, a, a in a glam rock anarchy army, like running around with like glitter in your hair and makeup and wearing knee high boots and kind of fighting the system. Um, so a couple of questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, what was the band called? And like, did you release the album? Like, did it? Well, do the band what? was called Lynched. Oh, okay. So, so that two was, of the, oh, obviously okay. we were brothers. The surname is Lynch. So that was that was the name of the band. So yeah, we we made. I think we made three hundred and fifty copies of that CD. And played around Europe a couple of times, Northern Europe, at punk festivals and that, and a good few times around Ireland. And that CD just got this kind of like, I don't know, it's bizarre, like anywhere you go now in that kind of like crusty squatter scene, people have heard about it and it's fucking crazy. It's like, we were at, we did a, a New Year's gig in Bristol, just gone, and uh, on the way home we were walking through this underpass and it was full of like young, crusty, homeless people drinking and doing whatever. And uh, we stopped for a chat with them. And one of the lads was like, oh, oh, you're from Dublin. Have you ever heard of this band, Lynch? And I'm like, oh, man, what the fuck? So what did you say? <laughs> well, we, we, are, like, we are that band. Yeah. <laughs> and we just, we laughed a lot, basically. That's not the first Lynched album, though, that's... Yeah, that's, well, the, that's, like the first, technically uh, it's the first Lynched yeah. album. It came out in 2003. Is it, is it up online anywhere? Can anyone hear it? It's on YouTube, yeah. yeah oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I know what I'm doing after this all, interview. <laughs> all 11 tracks. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like the formative like years. I mean, that must have been like, I don't know, the dream, like getting to tour around Europe and stuff and kind of play. Yeah, these, I mean, we were, just, we were like teenagers and then in our early 20s, we did that. And then a friend of ours from the States organized it. We did a three month tour around America and Mexico in 2006. And that was the maddest summer I've ever had in my life. It was unbelievable. And traveling around Mexico, we spent a month in Mexico playing nearly every day, playing these like these joke Irish like folk punk kind of mad songs and uh, they loved it in Mexico absolutely all the punks in, in Mexico were going mad for it we still get messages online sometimes from people in Mexico asking when we're coming back 
Oh, that's that's uh, one to pencil in in the future. Yeah, yeah. That's class. That's like the formative like uh, development, isn't it? Like just being on the road for a month and like just really like, uh, you know, developing your chops and your guitar playing and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you must yeah. have come back like solid. I mean, like, I don't know, I guess some people might think of you as like a little bit overnight success type of thing. I don't know. But, I don't um, think anybody really is, no? to be honest. I mean, that's a big gap between like 2003 and then 2000 and was it 14 was your kind of official debut album? Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff happened. Ian had a kid. Um, Life gets and, in the way sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, and it was never really a serious band. It was never like, oh, let's try and, you know, hit the big time with our folk punk duo. It was just, yeah, it was just something that we did. And it was like basically a free holiday. You get to travel around North America and Mexico for like three months and you don't have to pay for it because it's like you know we didn't make any money off it but we we didn't lose money so we basically like flew over got fed petrol would have been paid for by the gigs and we'd have places to sleep so it's just an amazing time but it was it was, it was definitely no like ambitions of success and so like i mean what happened in the interim i mean did you meet the rest of the band then like after you come back like between like say from 2006 or something i know around 2006 ian had started talking about learning the pipes because he was, he was playing the whistle at the time and it's kind of a natural thing that people do. They'll, they'll go from the whistle. If you learn the pipes, usually as a kid, you'll go from whistle to pipes. And um, he was starting to talk about the pipes and then we came back. He had a son and he started studying. He went and he got a master's in folklore and stuff like that while kind of learning traditional tunes. And then so I started with him learning traditional stuff and we'd meet up with a group of friends on Sundays and learn tunes. I started playing in this uh, open dad god tuning, which is kind of a, a standard enough tuning for for trad, um, and that so that just sort of carried on. We started playing sessions around town, McCormick, um, yeah, and then just discovered this world of of mayhem and alcohol in Dublin. That was just like you play music and you get free drinks and <laughs> sing songs. This is like unbelievable why wouldn't you do it yeah so we did that for a long time um and then uh, while that was going on ian uh, he got a job in the archive traditional music archive and then we met Rady a couple of years later too through playing sessions and then basically we had a chance to record in the recording studio in the basement they have down there in, in marion square and with danny diamond who was working there at the time as well so we asked cormac and Rady to come and, and do backing vocals and fiddle and concertina i think on three songs we had Henry my son Daffodil Mulligan and Ihawa were the three songs they were going to play on so then we started rehearsing for that and then that just basically somehow I don't even know we, we I don't remember even talking about it but it just became the band that was like all of a sudden getting getting them in to do guest spots on a couple of songs all of a sudden we had this like folk residency in the Grand Social um, Johnny Tennant was putting that on I think he had he had the uh, it was on once a week, but every fourth week it was us, I think it was the way it worked. And so we, it would be us as the host band and we'd get a special guest. So that went on for a good while. And that was kind of another thing of us just kind of getting our songs together and, and rehearsing and, and tweaking things. And then we recorded Called All Fire in 2000 and August 2013. It came out in May 2014. And then that was that was kind of that. That's kind of the rest of it, then, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah. the, re- the rest is history. Is there anything? Yeah. Like, I mean, you always hear about like the folk and trad revival in Ireland, and like you guys are certainly kind of at the at the front of that. 
I think anyway like you guys the gloaming as well kind of in a more folky uh kind of sense like is it kind of surprising that trad music has I mean like do you buy into the idea that uh traditional music is having a bit of a revival at the moment in, in Ireland is, and definitely abroad. like even a, a few years ago like before I suppose it's getting a bit more mainstream attention at the moment and there's the folk awards or you've just started the folk awards and stuff like that which he won Rady won singer of the year yeah she won I singer think. of the year and we got a uh, best group um, congratulations thank you very much um but even before the likes of RTE and and whoever like the, the more mainstream people were were given attention even the likes of the the singing circles which five definitely 10 years ago probably five or six years ago not a lot of young people would have been going it would have been a lot of these older heads Barry Gleason and, and Luke Cheevers that I was talking about and they've kind of said that they kind of expected they were they were kind of like Jesus this is like we're the last of it and then around five years ago whenever that I don't know why or how but out of nowhere loads of young people got mad into it loads and then uh, Ian and a group of people set up the night before Larry got stretched which is a singing session once a month in the cobblestone in the back room and that's still going strong the last five or six years I think now and a lot of younger people go to the Goline there's the Clay Club and then there's the sessions in Walsh's with yeah, Lisa and you Vagabonds and all that so it's like yeah there's a lot going on which just it just kind of seemed to spring out of nowhere I don't know I don't know why or how a lot of people just it seem to at the same time get mad into traditional singing and tunes or whatever yeah and, I'm, and like I mean I mentioned at the start that you're just back from America at the start of the year you did like a week's worth of gigs I think and just back from um, mainland Europe as well like I mean yeah. is that uh, just Irish people who are coming to your shows like expats or is it like the locals no, no, as well who have no. like heard about you and who want to experience this uh, Irish traditional music it's a totally different place to place I mean um, it depends if it's in a big city or kind of like in the countryside or wherever if it's an art centre or kind of a club or whatever but um, it's a total mix the whole time you never know what to expect sometimes it'll be a lot of older kind of folk revival heads from 60s 70s kind of folk folk revival and then definitely around england in the big cities like london manchester leeds uh up in scotland glasgow and edinburgh and stuff like that we'd get a lot of younger people coming out punks and metalers and and assorted kind of weirdos um definitely irish people who who are expats and um then in america New York was a similar story, actually. A lot of a mix of older people and younger people. Uh, Europe depends place to place. We were just in Belgium last week doing four gigs there, and there it was kind of like it was definitely slightly older Belgian people kind of going to see, like, I want to experience Irish culture or whatever. Still very nice. Do you feel like a successful band? Like, we've kind of made it. I mean, like, is it a full time? gig now for all of you it is full time yeah it's, it's, i mean that's that's it's, impressive in it's, itself it's tough going a lot of the time but um yeah i mean it's it's happening so yeah. you, you have to take it while it's going i mean like that that's probably like the furthest thing from your from your mind when you were like uh like in mexico or kind of treating it as a oh, as a like, kind of a joke yeah it's insane totally insane even that like the, the, the venues that we've ended up playing in the last couple of years we played in the paris philharmonic even the, the national concert hall in dublin um, or Vicar Street or whatever you know you're just kind of like definitely the first time that we played in Vicar Street I remember it was one of the most surreal things that ever happened walking out I remember we played Cold Old Fire and the song just the song got a, a standing ovation 
and I was just like, "Well, oh, Jesus Christ, this is <laughs> one of the most surreal things that has ever happened in my life." And yeah, like if you had told me what age was I in America, twenty three. If you had told me twenty three year old self that that was going to happen, I would, you know. <laughs> was um was Jules Holland like as as surreal a moment as like oh, I, yeah. I imagined yeah. that it was? Yeah. I mean, was that the thing that kind of really opened like all of the doors for you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely surreal and definitely terrifying for all of us. And there definitely was an element of the classic Irish thing that as soon as we were on that, all of a sudden everybody in Ireland was like, oh, do you want to come on our show? Or do you want to do an interview with us? Or do you want to... I was like, you fucking sycophantic fucks. <laughs> but you, you can go both ways on that, can't you? You can be kind of like, well, okay, I'll I'll go on the show. Like, I'll I'll take it. Or you can yeah. be like, like, where were you last week? Oh, it literally was, where were you last week? It was like tumbleweeds a week before and then as soon as somebody in England says oh you're cool then everybody in Ireland is like oh you're cool yeah that's so weird isn't it and it's not like it happens like every year with yeah, so many it's different it's infuriating the, yeah. the whole the father Ted effect yeah that's, yeah. that's it the father Ted effect I yeah. wonder why that is I wonder like I don't know like a lot, there's a lot of theories about it being a, a post-colonial kind of attitude or like this like inherent kind of uh, insecurity or an inherent Irish lack of confidence after you know being being colonized for however many hundred years I don't know maybe maybe there's something to that um have you been back on Jules Holland since we there no, for the last album no who knows maybe this time maybe this maybe. time yeah <laughs> so I mean you're going to be playing Cork on St. Patrick's Day you're playing Saint yeah with Luke's. Jimmy Crowley actually that, which I was, is I was gonna say yeah, that yeah. must be kind of like a nice a weird feeling like playing with this kind of legend yeah I mean that like he's the, the man who found Salonica so I I would hope I don't know if I'm break I don't know if this is secret or not, but we're gonna see if he'll sing Salonica with us anyway. Well, I mean I d I don't know how many <laughs> podcasts he listens to. I can't imagine he's gonna be listening to this one beforehand, but that'd be a moment. Yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. You've had a couple of moments in Cork. Well, just before we started recording, we were talking about um you playing uh It Takes a Village, the inaugural It Takes a Village yeah, last yeah. year and that you was were fantastic. playing with uh, the Jimmy Cake. And yeah. was, like I talked to Donald Deneen afterwards for this podcast. People can hear if they want. And he was just raving about uh that show and lots of people were. I mean, like, was it an impromptu thing or was it something that had been planned for a while? Oh, and how did it work? It's kind of a, it's a thing that had been talked about for I think maybe three years beforehand. And it was always one of those, oh, it'd be, it'd be great to do something together or do a gig together. But it's just one of those things when it's two bands who are, who are all the people involved are really busy to actually even get it together to rehearse. It's just, it's really difficult. And then we did, we got a few rehearsals together and then didn't do anything for a long time. And then realized we were playing the same day uh, at It Takes a Village. And we were just like, right, this is, this is like, <laughs> this is it. This is our one, our, our deadline or whatever. So uh, we got a few rehearsals together and then went and did, it's basically one track that was one of our tracks that leads into a traditional track from England that led into a sort of kraut rocky drony thing and then that morphed into the start of the Jimmy Cake set and we just kind of left the stage. So it's basically our gig ended but it took 20 minutes and then it morphs into the Jimmy Cake and uh, it was a lot of fun to do. It wasn't recorded or anything. We're not going to hear the result, the fruits is, of those. Where somebody has it, I think one of the Jimmy Cake might have put it on SoundCloud. I think D maybe put it on SoundCloud. I'm not sure. It's a, it's not, it's not through the sound system though. I think it's just a dictaphone recording. But you can get a sense of, of what's going on. So like Jimmy, you're going to be playing 
Jimmy Crowley is going to be sporting it. Hopefully he'll, he'll come out on stage with you. Is he like the latest in a, a line of people who have kind of played with you, these kind of like legends of traditional music? Oh, we've had, we, I don't know, there's so many people. It's, it's a weird thing now that's nearly become like, you kind of stop, you stop being shocked. There's definitely the last couple of years, we were getting shocked every month or whatever. It'd be like, oh, we're, we're at a session with Martin Carthy playing tunes or like, oh, Christy Moore just called around for tea and sandwiches to sing some songs or like, well, you know, like we're, oh, we're on stage with Nick Cave and Johnny Depp for Shane McGowan's 60th. All, just all these mad, mad things have been happening. And then, so after a while, you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, another another insane, surreal, <laughs> ridiculous thing is happening. Cool. <laughs> you, you just kind of like take it as it comes. It seems like you're pretty like relaxed about it all. It's not like you're kind of, out there like forcing it on people it's just kind of like people it it all seems to have happened so naturally yeah i mean yeah we're we're not like wildly uh yeah no we're not like the wildly ambitious people who are going like all right let's email email christy moore and see if he'll sing a song with us or like we need to get on that bill for the shane mcgowan thing or you know it's not none of that stuff going on but it's just i don't know i think maybe we just kind of Whatever whatever we're doing or the way we're doing it seems to come along at the right time or something like that and, and I don't know. People are, are into it. And so Saint Luke's is going to be like I think I think it's the only Irish show that you have lined up for a little while. Um will there be any new tracks that you're gonna be playing or is it like uh gonna have to wait for those? No, there's de- like there's definitely a few new tracks that we were testing out in Belgium over the last couple of weeks. I I would say there will definitely be at least one completely new song, probably two or three. I don't know. Actually, there could be more because I, I just realised that'll be just after we've recorded the whole album, so we might actually be totally like buzzing off it. And either that, or we won't want to do any of it. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's positive, we'll come out and we'll be like, let's play a lot of stuff off the new album. Yeah. Like I mean, uh, I I suppose you want the reaction for the new tunes as well. Like I mean, if you're playing them and there's like you see the reaction or you're like you're not happy with it, you're like, oh fuck, what did we just spend two weeks? Yeah, doing? yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like the one that we were playing over in Belgium went down quite well, as far as I could tell. And uh, yeah, I mean, sure, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, I've I've enjoyed uh, following your journey so far. It's uh, it's been an amazing ride for the past uh, like two decades now i suppose <laughs> like from from mexico to uh st luke's yeah 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 it's been it's been wacky to cool. say the least so looking forward to hearing the new album are you planning on releasing it uh oh yeah are you planning on releasing it this year and is it gonna be with uh rough trade be, again it's gonna be with rough trade again and it's gonna be as far as i know late october cool so there should be a string of gigs around ireland also uh, Actually, I think one or two of them are definitely booked, but I'm not allowed to say where or when. Have to play the waiting game. Late October, there'll be a good few Irish gigs that will be album releases and will be very exciting. Great. Well, listen, thanks a lot for the chat. Thanks for thanks for tell- having me. Thanks for telling me about the whole uh, the whole journey and uh, all good, the, all the good. history of trad. Very welcome. <laughs>